day, friends. My name is Dan George, and I am your host of Reconciliation Road, an exciting new podcast I have started with the support of the First Nations Major Projects Coalition. The focus of our program is reconciliation in all its forms. We seek solutions and encourage our listeners and supporters to look at old problems through new eyes. Seeing with new eyes is an approach which tries to take a fresh look at something, bypassing the pattern recognition, and seeing the issue with a different perspective. Such an approach is critical if we are to work and walk together on the road of reconciliation. We well know that leadership matters. It is essential in every sector, in every community, and in every country. In these times of unprecedented change, organizations, communities, and governments need more leaders. And now more than ever, we need leaders who can unite and mobilize others in a common cause. In British Columbia's historic parliament buildings, our elected representatives, called members of the Legislative Assembly, or MLAs, meet to shape the future of our province by debating and passing the laws that govern British Columbians. British Columbia is divided into 87 constituencies, or ridings. One MLA is elected from each riding to speak on behalf of the people who live there. MLAs represent their constituents, people who live in their ridings, by asking questions and raising issues of concern to them during debates. They also act for their constituents by presenting petitions on their behalf that ask government to take action on a particular issue and by introducing both public and private bills. MLAs maintain an office year-round in their home riding to provide their constituents with advice, guidance, and hands-on assistance in dealing with government. When the House is not sitting, MLAs work in their constituency offices or meet with individuals, local businesses, and community groups. My guest for today's edition of Reconciliation Road is none other than Nathan Cullen. Nathan was elected MLA for Stikine in the 2020 provincial election. He is also the Minister of State for Lands and Natural Resource Operations, the Chair of the Environment and Land Use Committee, and a member of the Cabinet Committee on Economy. Previously, Mr. Cullen served as a Member of Parliament in the Skeena Balkby Valley for 15 years from 2014 to 2019. Early in his career, he worked in international development in Africa and South America during the 1990s on community economic development projects. Nathan lives in Smithers in the heart of Wet'suwet'en territory with his wife and twin sons. Good morning, Nathan, and welcome to the program. Good morning, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very uh, grateful that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to be with me here today. And, you know, recently we enjoyed some time together where I was assisting you with uh, some of your work uh, um, you know, facilitating some engagement sessions that you were having with leadership across uh, the province. And mm-hmm. um, I was uh, privileged to participate uh, with you. And, um, you know, I was uh, very impressed with um, with your skills and abilities. I know you had a lot of skills before, Nathan, but I saw them all in full splendor. And uh, it was great to uh, to work with you. Well, it's, uh, it, it's uh, we, yeah, engaging with so many uh, powerful First Nations around the province over Zoom. Uh, over topics that, as you often talked about, Dan, went uh, right to the heart of the nations, the land, the water, the resources, the, the, the connection, uh, your ability to um, connect with people and let them feel comfortable and open up really powerful conversations was, was incredible. I, I, was, I have to admit, uh, in doing a broad consultation about something like this, about what's going on in the land base, um, I was a bit apprehensive because of COVID, our ability to really connect with people. Because going there, as mm-hmm. you know, is the most important thing. Like being in people's territory and talking about the territory is a lot better. But you uh, yeah, certainly 
top ranked skilled facilitator in the province. And uh, it was it was great to have you running alongside. It was fun. Yeah, thank you so much for, for the kind comments, Nathan. And it was uh, was a lot of fun. And um, in your new capacity of Minister of State for Lands and Natural Resource uh, Operations, uh, Premier Horgan gives all of his ministers a, a mandate letter. Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of give you the uh, the marching orders or the expectations of the premier yeah. uh, position. Uh, in your mandate letter, it included the goals of reconciliation, uh, equity, um, anti-racism, um, work towards climate change, and the sustainable economy. Uh, within this broad mandate, Nathan, where do you see yourself focusing your initial efforts? A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of mm. space that you have to cover. Well, where do you see yourself starting? Yeah, the thing I. Uh, it certainly gives us the the thoughts and directions of the premier, right? Uh, but I really like those mandate letters because if they're being public, they're a form of accountability for us to the citizens we try to represent. Here's here's my work orders. Here's the stuff that I'm going to try to get done, and you can you can hold us accountable to whether we're doing that or not. They're they're very broad. I mean, they're very and and deep rooted. If you want to talk about racism and systemic unfairness and those kinds of things, um, I I think. Uh, well, I know and I hope all of my politics comes from the place that I represent uh, here in Stikeen, which is it's the largest riding in British Columbia's legislature. It goes from uh, Telqua all the way here in Wet'suwet'en territory, all the way through Gitsan, up through Taltan, up to Tack River, Klingit, Cascadene, uh, up to the Alaska-Yukon border. And issues of reconciliation, I feel, <laughs> have been... Uh, what people have been living here for a long time. Uh, and, and this is where uh, sometimes the worlds collide and the worldviews collide, mm -hmm. sometimes really positively. Collision doesn't always mean a bad thing, uh, but sometimes really negatively. And so from my mind and the work that I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I've been set the task of restructuring a big chunk of the natural resource ministries in British Columbia. And, and the purpose behind it for me and the folks I'm working with is to build structuring government that supports reconciliation as opposed to resists it. Mm -hmm. uh, to build the way that we do business that shares power, is more cooperative in decision-making, is more inclusive of the public, all that kind of stuff that for years as a member of parliament, before that as a citizen, I'd get so frustrated by because I couldn't see our voices in the conversation, and I definitely couldn't see Indigenous voices in the conversation about the decisions being made on the land with what's wrapping in the, the, the land, the water, in the air. Um, so that's a, a big part of my work right now. There's other things that we're up to, uh, you know, just generally working for Stikine. You know, it's a big, beautiful place uh, with lots of potential and lots of challenges. And so that could be a, a more than a full-time job just on its own. And so now you put the minister stuff on top. It's exciting. It's busy. Uh, I really enjoy it. Excellent. And, you know, when I reflect back on the uh, the engagement sessions that you just held uh, across the province with um, uh, First Nations leadership, mm -hmm. um, just the smiling faces and the encouraging words that were uh, expressed by many of our chiefs and uh, counselors and technicians with your accessibility, you made mm -hmm. yourself accessible um, as a minister, and um, you know, I've been doing facilitation in this province for a long time, and um, that was unheard of. The amount of FaceTime that you provided um, to uh, uh, to our people, Indigenous people, as a part of that engagement. So I wanted to acknowledge um, you for that, because it's just all about respect. 
right? Like all the things that we talk about, all the things that we do of a, of a personal and professional nature, all need to be rooted in, in respect and the accountability that you speak about that, um, you know, is identified within the mandate letter from the premier. So um, I'm very, um, I was very happy uh, when you were elected as an MLA, you know, given your many, many years of service as an MP up in that area where you live. And, um, and I'm really hoping and uh, I'm confident that you're going to bring a new style uh, to the way that government um, is, um, is operated and that, uh, that is founded upon relationships, you know, and relationships are, are at the core of everything that we do. And, you know, over your uh, public political career, you've enjoyed a close relationship with First Nations peoples. I don't know how many times I bumped into you in a feast hall, in a community hall, in a uh, one of our communities on a ferry, on an airplane. You, um, you, you gave a lot of uh, attention to Indigenous people up in the riding, you know, alongside of the other people that you represent. But you had a it seemed to have a real affinity for working with our people and um so you're one of the people that i thought about when um Kukbi, um roseanne casimir here uh, from the published mm. to shikrapmak she um announced the uh the finding of uh 215 unmarked graves mm. at the kamloops indian residential school and um you know nathan you were one of the first people that reached out to uh, myself and kelly uh, my mm. executive director to see how we were doing and um, that speaks to the kind of uh, man that you are. And I'm just wondering, Nathan, when, when you heard the, the, that news, what went through your mind and what went through your heart? Um, oh, uh, it would be, I guess it would be better to say I was shocked because if I were shocked, then this would have been something unexpected or unheard of. Um, and the tragedy is in those. Um, in those halls and at the healing circles that I've been at in, in people's living rooms and backyards over the years, uh, the courage people have shown to me in telling the stories of residential schools and the horrors that went on there and, and the generational trauma. Um, hearing about Kamloops was not um, surprising I guess I was a bit surprised how many people were surprised, how many mm -hmm. non-Indigenous people were, were properly horrified, but uh, it was more the revelation of it. Like, could this be? Could there be these un unmarked graves? Could so many children have been taken away and killed and neglected and uh, died at the hands of the government and the church? Um, uh, we, we were recently, I don't know if you saw this, Dan, but we were recently up north. Um, with the Casca, um, because they uh, had for years been forced to use their uh, the former residential school there, Lower Post, as their community hall, their community center, their their place of business. Um, and for thirty years plus, since the school was shut down, they've been petitioning the governments, BC and Canada, to say, you know, for our community members to walk into this building is re-traumatizing every time. And there's a lot of people who could not. And the Taltan, uh, Klinga people that were forced into the school. And it was only at some insistence from, uh, from our government, and particularly the premier who had visited the community a couple of years ago, or a year and a half ago, that the feds showed up and they, we, we were able to attend a ceremony where we began demolishing the school and, and broke ground on a new uh, community center. And 
I don't know. Just for, just for non-Indigenous Canadians, it's. Uh, I think that's where my work is. My, I, I don't. There's nothing I have to tell uh, Indigenous people about their experience. For for non-Indigenous folks, um, trying to relate to having the state and the church and all the powers that be be fully intent on your annihilation. And one one chief recently said to me, Dan, I don't know if you heard this before, but. He said one, one of the most insidious tactics of the government was that they were in a negotiation with us over the land and we were at war sometimes. And in that conflict, they took our children hostage. How are we supposed to negotiate mm. when our children are being held hostage? Mm. And, I, and I'd, I'd, never, I'd never really connect those particular dots of how insidious it was, that the fight has always been over the land. It's always been over these questions. And government did this thing for many reasons and it seems like one of them clearly was um was what this chief described to me so i don't know it's it's hard i've got kids and you you think what would this scenario what world could i imagine in which you know uh rcmp busts down the door and when they're five and forcibly takes them from me and my wife and it's uh yeah, I've just attended a lot of a lot of healing ceremonies. I've been welcomed in to just bear witness and uh, how people are even upright sometimes. I don't know, man. It's um, pretty impressive. So, Kamala, if it shocked the country, if it shocked the non-Indigenous people in the country and around the world about Canada's work and what we did, uh, people who held my position in, in previous generations, what we did, then I guess good. Um, the fact that so many people were surprised is uh, is a bit sad, frankly, because it's but I, I mean, it's understandable. I went to school uh, and I went to university. I, you know, I, I got educated, I guess, but I didn't get educated on this. Mm-hmm. Those, those words never left the teacher's lips into my ears through all those uh, years in school. So that's changed. Uh, thank God. But um, yeah, so the heavy days, man. I don't know. You, you live there and the Kupi's shown so much uh, grace and courage, uh, but it must be just that that re-traumatizing effect must be something else for the community to have that much international attention uh, over something so personal. Um, yeah, it must be tough. Yeah, this uh, people are um, on a um, on a walk. They're they're all coming here. Yeah. And they're healing. yeah. We received a, a delegation from uh, the Yukon mm. um, yesterday. I met those walkers. Yes. Yeah. And our regional chief TG was here um, um, supporting uh, them as well. And, you know, um, the one thing for me is like there's 215 um, unmarked graves of little ones here. I think the number is over 5,000 now. Mm. And there's over like, I think, 139, 104, over 140 residential schools. So that number is just going to increase, right? Yeah. And I think part of the concern is that people are just seem to be becoming numb to those numbers are muted and it's just not, it, it doesn't have the same level mm-hmm. of, uh, of impact as it did, as it did with the initial announcement from uh, Kupi uh, Kazmir. And, you know, we have to do everything that we can to keep it in the public eye to ensure that it's addressed. And we know that the tools of colonization included the Indian Act. Mm-hmm. It included uh, residential schools that were designed to uh, take the Indian out of the child. So I really appreciate that you're being invited into our communities and up in lower post. That must have been cathartic and healing for the people there to be able to demolish uh, some of that uh, building that represents um, such pain and despair and despondency um, over the many years that it's been there. So 
um, good on you, Nathan, for uh, for participating and for adding your voice, you know, your uh, articulate voice uh, to this cause. Um, colonization at its core is um, is rooted in racism and discrimination. And that um, sadly, uh, racism and discrimination is, is very prevalent in society today. And it seems to be hard baked into the systems that we interact with on a daily basis, from hospitals to childcare uh, to the uh, to the justice system. What do you think we need to do to um, you know purge out some of the racism and discrimination that um, exists? Such a huge question. Um, my my family's uh, I don't know what the proper term for it is mixed. We have. Uh, different, my brothers from a different father and uh, mixed, and uh, that's that's kind of my starting point in thinking about these things. Because although we grew up with the same mom and the same house and the same you know neighborhood, uh, our experiences were so vastly different. When interacting, particularly uh, with the schools, um, with police, um, in in very. Uh, uh, personal ways and the privilege that I get to walk around with as a, a white male is what is the, is a tricky thing to constantly recognize and be aware of like recently some Gitsan friends uh, kind of gave me the the profile of, of Smithers where we live here in Wet'suwet'en territory of the of the shops you, you know this Dana which 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 grocery stores? We have a few grocery stores. Which ones are welcoming? Mm-hmm. Which restaurants are welcoming uh, to Indigenous peoples? And uh, years ago, I don't know if this is true, but I'll take it as true. Uh, I was at a feast, and I was like, "Why is there always Chinese food here? <laughs> we got this amazing. We got the salmon. We got the fried bread. We got all this amazing food, and always chow mein. <laughs> I mean, it's good, but why? And and an elderly lady uh, at the feast said, well, when she was coming up, that was the only restaurant that would allow her in, was the Chinese people. So when they would go to town, that's where they could eat. And so she grew up. That is a really special meal. And um, so it's always going to be at, at that feast. And it's a, it's a passing anecdote, and it might not mean much, right? But one uh, oppressed people <laughs> welcoming in another one is because the racism was so it was 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 not you know particular so i guess my my work is with other other uh white folks it really is like it's learning and spending time and understanding people's realities that are not my reality but I, it's it's unfair to say oh i just need to walk in someone's shoes because i can't even walk in my brother's shoes yeah uh, who looks so different fully i i can listen and be compassionate but my work is with uh, other uh, European descent people over things like we just talked about residential schools and saying, all right, let's talk about the reality. A small story. I don't know if you're curious about this, but I don't know if you remember the residential school apology that came out of the federal government. Um, the prime minister at the time was Harper, who had a more than checkered past, who at, at one point said the good thing about Canada is it doesn't have a colonial history, like straight faced. And he believed it. Right. That's the worst part is I don't think he was lying to himself, but he was lying to himself. Um, But we found out when the residential school apology took place um, that he and Jack Layton had been meeting uh, secretly, essentially, for a year, every month. And Jack had been talking to him about this issue. 
uh, other things, but this one in particular. And Jack told us that story just on the day of the apology happening. We did a whole bunch of things to allow Indigenous leaders onto the floor of the House of Commons, which is against the Constitution, apparently. Um, and I asked Jack, I said, how did you get him to do this in the end? And he said, I just related it to his kids. I said, it's your kids. It's your kids being taken from you. Mm -hmm. And we need to apologize for that as a start. And, and Harper uh, did not follow that apology with enough, nearly enough uh, work and good faith. But I thought, okay, well, um, we have to have compassion uh, always for ourselves and for those who are exhibiting that kind of racism or denying its existence um, because we can't yell them down. <laughs> like we just, if, if someone says, you know, the healthcare system is not is systematically racist, you can't scream it at them until and, and get them to believe it. You got to walk them through mm -hmm. what happens when an, an indigenous mom comes into the hospital versus a non-indigenous mom. Is she treated differently? Mm -hmm. And when we can get to that moment of recognition, then you start to say, all right, let's stamp it out. Let's see how we're doing intakes. Let's see how we're prescribing medicines, like just on the healthcare, and um, and hire people to study it, which we've done to say, here are the things that you need to change. But man, it's huge. And it's, it's thousands and thousands of years in the making. And it'll be takes, hopefully it won't take that kind of time to undo. Mm -hmm. And as noted in your uh, introduction, um, you know, you live in Wet'suwet'en territory. And um, yep. when you're sharing the um, the story about the woman that talked about the Chinese food and, and yeah. the fact that they, you know, being allowed into a Chinese restaurant, hmm. when the Delgamukka Stayway court action was, um, was initiated, it was uh, Smithers was seen to be a hotbed of, uh, mm -hmm. of racism. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember when we left the Supreme Court of Canada in 1997 and a conscious decision was made um, by the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs, um, then under the leadership of our speaker, Satsan Herb George, my brother, mm. decided to put our head office in Smithers. That's right. And many people scratched their head uh, about that, about why, why we did that. And essentially what we did is we, we leaned right into the racism. And, um, you know, we uh, started to create relationships mm -hmm. with the, uh, the mayor and council. And I really want to acknowledge um, Mayor Jim Davidson um, yeah. of the time, who um, was really a champion uh, for the Wet'suwet'en people um, in that area. And, you know, much has changed um, uh, since 1997 uh, when we, um, you know, set up our office um, in, in Smithers. You know, racism isn't gone. I think it's pervasive in all societies. But um, things are things are are are, are seemingly on a, on an upswing there. Um, that's me from the outside looking in from Camden. Mm. And, and you know, uh, you know, I am of uh, Wet'suwet'en ancestry. I did serve our people before um, through uh, uh, negotiations um, in the the BC Treaty uh, process. And um, earlier this year, um, the BC government entered into an agreement to give the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs seven point two million dollars in funding to support the implementation of the rights and title. The government uh, said in a statement, the three-year funding agreement will support the chief's efforts to reunify members of the Wet'suwet'en Nation, which includes six uh, First Nations. The statement went on to say that it will also support the revitalization of Wet'suwet'en governance structures in areas like water stewardship and wildlife programs, 
and renovations at a former school that will be used as a governance and administration center. So I want to acknowledge um, mm. provincial government for um, for doing that with the Wet'suwet'en people. Uh, I'm wondering, Nathan, you know, you're in that riding, you've got a deep relationship with the Wet'suwet'en people. From your perspective, what are the next steps that need to be taken to advance the goals of the relationship? Um, it's a really good question. Um, we, ha we have a, a, a table set up right now because, as, of course, uh, your, your viewers will remember uh, Wet'suwet'en territory was the site of significant conflict and tension between the government and um, some of the, well, the Wet'suwet'en nation represented by the chiefs in the end, the RCMP, uh, all uh, over a proposed pipeline. And um, it really highlighted uh, some of the things we were talking about a bit before of, of how decisions are made on the land base and when they're not inclusive, when uh, people are excluded. Um, the, those colonial structures just keep on moving, man. They, they, you know, they can have good people, but if the structure is so broken, it, it is what it is. Um, and as part of that that table, because I, for one, uh, I've been at a fair number of protests and have, have stood against things. Um, I, I generally uh, uh, think negotiations are better than the alternative <laughs> when you have a conflict, right? Um, sometimes it's unavoidable, but uh, part of it was that because the government of Canada, primarily, but BC also, had so broken intentionally through all the things we've talked about with Soweton governance and the, uh, the, that there was a rebuilding uh, and, and a rebuilding that is, is self-determined, right? It's not like um, BC has come in and said, this is what your governance must look like and here's how we expect things done. Um, but it needs support because there's there's been, as you know, as going through Delgamuka Stayway, um, the effort to just prove your existence as a people, which had been denied by a lower court, right? That that Wet'suwet'en kind of didn't exist, according to one insane judge. But uh, the determination of the chiefs to pursue it through to the Supreme and ultimately win a whole bunch of recognitions, including oral tradition and all those things that you fought for. The ripple effects of that case have been you know, incredible, just in terms of lifting up First Nations rights and title across Canada. Um, that oral histories can be presented, and all of these things uh, that are so foundational. So we've uh, we've made, and and there's a lot of tension within the Wet'suwet'en Nation as well, right? That um, with those six First Nations across a vast territory, uh, mixed histories and experiences. Um, that conflict and, and debate is inevitable, I think, somewhat as 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 people seek to reform the governance, the self-determined government that they want. Um, but we don't we don't want that process to lack for resources, right? If it there's a lot of language, uh, there's a lot of work through the historical documents, there's a lot of you know, building through, you know, a building, an actual physical building to host what's within governance. Uh, we know in other places, and where you live right now, in West Bank and other places, these are these are foundational building blocks to that self determination, to create that equal partnership required. Um, so, we'll see how it goes. It's uh, it's a bumpy road, though. Like, and um, as uh, it's a, sometimes it's a strange spot for me, Dan, to be to be perfectly frank, because like you say, I represent Stakeen, yet. I've 
I've often been in uh, dialogue with First Nations leadership about whether I speak for, you know, when I represented the Haida, I would never say I speak for the Haida. I, when I represent the Wet'suwet'en, I don't speak for the Wet'suwet'en. Um, and so there, we're, we're in this, this sort of transition time, um, and it's a bit messy uh, because it's unclear and unsettling for people. And I think that that's why I've gotten comfortable with the term settler, because it, it also allows us to say, talk about being unsettled, <laughs> right? To be a little super uncomfortable as people. Uh, and I didn't grow up with any uh, access to power or money or anything. But talking about privilege, I hold that privilege and walk with it. Um, and in that transition time, uh, things will be different than they were. And that always causes people uh, anxiety. So a good example is um, Blueberry First Nation took BC to court, uh, Blueberry River uh, up, up in the Northeast, uh, particularly around cumulative impacts, right? All the, all the impacts of all of the industrial development that's gone on and that the crown was not adding it up. And that those impacts were infringing on their rights and title to hunt and do other things. And I don't know, for 99% of uh, BC's history, the government would have appealed the decision that we lost and spent a bunch of money and gone to the Supreme Court. Um, and we didn't appeal. And instead, we're negotiating that we would rather do uh, through work with people like you who can bring people together rather than lawyers, no offense to our lawyer friends, um, in a system which is just by its nature confrontational. And, um, you know, industry and some of the non-Indigenous communities are a bit unsettled. Like, what does this mean? Um, but it's a change. It's a, it's a change and it's foundational and it's good from my perspective. Yeah, and I... Um... When I think about, um, I, I never miss an opportunity to acknowledge the Wet'suwet'en and Gitsan hereditary chiefs. Mm. And um, I think just for the, you know, our, our listeners, it's important to note that as part of the colonization that occurred was the outlawing of our traditions, our cultural practices, yeah. who we were as a people. And so our system of governance, which was quite complex, was driven underground and kept alive by our people in the face mm. of such tremendous oppression. So I want to acknowledge um, our hereditary leadership for doing that and maintaining that connection, uh, historical connection to how we have governed ourselves as a mm. people. Um, but we do also, uh, and I think this might be confusing for some of our listeners, have elected chiefs as well. And those elected chiefs arise out of the Indian Act, which is mm -hmm. a foreign um, you know, legislation that was designed, again, to uh, remove us from the land and, you know, make a way for um, the, um, the settlers to come in and, and benefit from, from the lands themselves. So I, I want to make sure that our, our listeners understand that there's hereditary chiefs, there's elected chiefs. And as you point out, Nathan, there's some internal work that Wet'suwet'en have to do between the, gets, uh, between the hereditary and the elected to arrive at a form of governance that works um, for the people. And I'm not uh, to suggest that the hereditary system does not work for the people. I think part of the problem with the hereditary system is the fact that many of us, many of uh, what's open people themselves even don't know how it operates, right? Mm. So again, um, trying to, um, to keep that historic way that we have um, governed ourselves alive but also recognize that when a culture becomes static, it dies. 
Right. right. So being able to try to evolve over the course of time. And I think that's the, the internal chatter and churn that happens with the Wet'suwet'en about how can we um, organize ourselves in such a way that pays respect to our past, but mm. also positions us for success in the present and into the future. And uh, that's uh, an ongoing, uh, oftentimes lively conversation <laughs> that we have uh, amongst ourselves. So again, I want to acknowledge our hereditary leadership and my fellow clan and house members uh, for this work. I also want to acknowledge my fellow band members from my band of Hagelget um, right mm -hmm. now, which is also having its own little problem with some uh, uh, with some leadership uh, there as well. And, well it's, uh, the way I, I try to relate it uh, to people who aren't in the system, but from my observation, is if it, like the, the British parliamentary system that Canada uses, we adopted, if you look through its growing, so-called growing pains, they were deadly, right? Like people lost lives, entire people were subjugated. The power went back and forth between a hereditary system in the crown and parliament and the rights of individuals. And those individuals were first only acknowledged as white men. Like, you know, it, it, it's, of course it's messy. And especially my, my, my starting point in this is uh, my family uh, is Irish. And I'm first born of, of my family here in Canada. And uh, we know from colonization, right? Like uh, we used to have, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, a thing that developed called hedgerow schools. So when the British uh, came in and, and took over Ireland and all the rest, they, they did, they practiced colonization on us, right? Before they took it globally, uh, Ireland was in the Scots for the, sort of the first place. And so, of course, language was taken out, right? Like we're, we're stripping you of your, your Celtic language. And there's these big hedges in Ireland. And you can actually just through some, you can make little kind of rooms inside them. They're so big. And uh, so they would have these hedgerow schools where uh, people were taught and continued their traditional language. And so if you go through some parts of Ireland today, still through the grocery store, you'll hear Celtic being spoken and Gaelic, excuse me. and it's um, amazing to think of what people went through. And, and uh, during the Troubles, uh, the British banned all, uh, all, all meetings of more than a few people. But yet people were still organizing and they couldn't figure it out. And they realized after some many years that they, uh, women were getting together to quilt, uh, quilting bees, Irish women. And that's where all the organization was happening. <laughs> And uh, so they eventually banned quilting uh, as well. Uh, but you can't, you know, you can't hold a determined people down forever. Um, so when people say uh, it's, it's what's going on in Wet'suwet'en or whatever territory seems messy, uh, who are not Wet'suwet'en, uh, first thing I say is, well, first we did this, like we broke it. <laughs> we broke a system, we stopped its evolution and imposed the system on top of it. And now people have to, figure it out and and we got to get out of the way and aid or do whatever we can but don't get all judgy <laughs> because mm. yeah it's going to be tricky and as a politician elected uh provincially there's there's many times where you just you just kind of have to shut up and stay quiet and allow people to listen and not pick sides and uh just you know make space, make space in the public discourse to allow this to happen.
and that it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a minute. And that's okay. Um, it takes the time that it takes. Yeah, we talk a lot about change, right? And and, and change requires um, focused energy. And uh, change requires us to be able to oftentimes uh, step outside of our comfort zone and to be able to do some things that we might not uh, necessarily um, uh, do on a, on a regular basis. And you know, when I think about change and, and, you know, you and I have had conversations about this, you know, sadly, um, many of us would rather endure a familiar pain than risk an unfamiliar mm. pleasure. Right. Mm. And, and again, um, also, you know, when I, when I think about um, the education that has to happen with, uh, with Canadians, that education has to be more than a two minute soundbite that they listen to on the, on, on the, on the national news or mm. on their local news or in their local newspaper. Um, it's, uh, it's complex. When you think about, um, if you think about 600 and I think 30 some first nations across Canada mm. form the assembly of first nations, 203 or four of those, uh, clearly almost a third are in uh, British Columbia Mm -hmm. uh, much of British Columbia has not been settled by treaties. Um, and, and, and so you have all, the, you know, all this, you know, urban, urban uh, facing uh, nations, uh, more mm -hmm. rural nations, you have such a real mix, right? And, and everybody wants to speak for themselves, right? So it's a real challenge for, for, for government. And, you know, when I, when I deal with government, they like to get an aggregate together and get a group sure. together that they can talk to, right? Rather than having 203 individual uh, conversations. But that's the trend of where we're going through is everybody wants to be able to speak for themselves at the community mm -hmm. level and represent their own uh, title and rights. And that makes it, I think, a little bit more challenging for uh, people in your position, mm. right? You know, it's like to be able to... Um, uh, to listen and to hear clearly and to make some uh, make some change that um, will broadly affect people. Tough to do when there's 203 conversations you have to have. Well, and and it um, yes, and you know, two 203 uh, individual land use plans, for example, would be tricky as well. And and you you know you got the overlap and all those sort of competing interests. I think um seems to me that uh, we often talk about capacity, right? A, a nation's capacity. The is is governance in place? Like does the nation ha, have they built their own way of deciding things that that their people support and validate, right? And that might not seem like a big deal, but that's a huge deal. Right? You, you you can't negotiate with the other side if the other side has not decided how they decide things yet. Um, do, is there the technical capacity? Are, are we able to bring in the, the biologists and the foresters and the epidemiologists, all that kind of stuff to allow people uh, to self-determine with full knowledge of what it is they're deciding, right? And I can remember years ago going up in Taltan territory where there's a lot of uh, mining interest and mining, mining proposals are massive documents thousands and thousands and thousands of pages and i was talking this is 20 years ago and talking to the the one person working for the taltan who's supposed to review all of these proposals and he takes me out to a, a trailer that they had 
uh, mobile home kind of thing. And you couldn't really open the door. <laughs> and there was a narrow band down the middle of the trailer. And the rest was just filled with mining proposals. Mm -hmm. And he said, what advice do I give to the leadership here over all of these different projects, whether they're good or not, whether they're good for us environmentally or, and um, I remember when, uh, when the government was trying to push the Enbridge pipeline through the oil pipeline, one chief came to me in Prince George at a forum we were having and the government, uh, it was a BC liberal government at the time had sent him a proposal for consultation. And I think it was $7,000. They said, we're going to give you $7,000 for you to engage mm -hmm. about this pipeline going. And it was a major part of their territory. And he said, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, what is this? What do I do with $7,000? I can hire an archaeologist for a couple of months to look through the route, but I can't do anything else. So I can't engage. Um, we can, I can't bring this back to my people and say, we're going to get informed and decide for ourselves whether this is good or not. We're going to have all that information that we need, not on $7,000. The government would never do it, right? The government would never do that. The, the industry would never do that, but we expect First Nations to do it all the time. Um, and that's something we're trying to fix in, in terms of getting good land use decisions up front before these huge projects show up and nations are overburdened by them. Yeah, we saw when you were talking about that trailer being full and um, of um, of documents and files. I was reminded of um, um, Angel Ransom, who's the director of operations for the First Nations Major Projects Coalition. She used to have a position uh, in her lands department with her nation, Cosley. Mm. And I remember her relating stories. You know, there was four to five pipelines that were being proposed um, for mm -hmm. their territory at the same oh, yeah. time, right? And they are um, expected to be able to respond to um, everything that you just said times seven or five, you know. On a deadline, on, right? On, deadline. on these 15 and 30 day deadlines. Like if you don't respond, um, in some cases, this is changing as well, then it's taken for acquiescence. Yeah. Yeah. Your silence is consent. Uh, yeah. Which right. is no longer being held up in court, but. You just, you just sort of, again, this, we talk about this again and again, but the, the structure, the way you build something matters a lot. I need, I need an analogy for this, right? Like just, you know, you put a bike together and, and you've got that one wheel, you better have amazing balance, but wouldn't it be better with two? And um, we, we've just, we've built some things um, that by their nature uh, make reconciliation difficult to impossible. And so you got to do both, I guess, in, in the real time, these things are going on. These decisions are happening. These agreements are being made, but you're also working on the DNA. You're, uh -huh. you're changing the DNA so that you, you get better over time, as opposed to just continuing on being kind of stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Being kind of stupid for sure. Stupid. The, um, and I just wanted to back up a little bit when you were talking about the hereditary <laughs> and the elected, you know, and it's a little <laughs> bit, confusing and um and you made the comment you know like we created this mess right and right. and and it, i always get a uh, i always have a chuckle um when i when different governments deal say with the Wet'suwet'en people and then the other governments point about our confusion around um you know the internal churn around governance they point to that like their government is perfect 
like their government, you know, is operating perfectly and, and everything else. Right. And uh, right. You know, I, I and in my knowledge of uh, the provincial government and the federal government, it's far from perfect. And it's got its own um, challenges and its own blemishes uh, that it has to deal with. Right. And um, I think that um, to point just to our governance and say, you guys better get, you know, Frank, well, watch my language or you better get your shit together because we don't know who we're talking to. Um, you know, I, I, I really think that government needs to have the attitude that you just had, that we created this this mess, right? So we're going to have to be patient with this mess and we're going to have to, um, you know, maybe uh, do some things that are uncomfortable for us to be able to address the mess that we made. I think, uh, yes. And I mean, anyone wanting to look in at our perfect government, just watch this question period for a mm. couple of moments and you realize it's uh, people coming together and, and I don't think Canada is necessarily unique. You can watch the U S Congress or the British house and you see the, the debate, which passes for debate um, or Jody Wilson Rabel. has got a book out on it right, right now, but like, what was it like on the inside and uh, the real uh, challenges of ethical governing and good governance. And so we don't, we just don't have any stones to cast, I guess. It's it's about humility, right? Like just everyone being a bit humble about it. The other thing I was going to add is, uh, I was thinking about this this morning, social media. Uh, <laughs> do you remember the early days? It was, you know, like this, it was a connector and it still is somewhat, but not really. Uh, and, it, you know, an educator. It was the same way they used to talk about television, I guess, you know, as it was being invented. It's going to be this great education device. Everyone's going to have this box in their home where they can learn about the world. And we watch Gilligan's Island instead. Um, social media has got a much, much more nefarious component to it when talking about these debates about reconciliation or governance within a nation. Uh, I've I've sometimes dipped my toe into what's out in Facebook and then I get back out because <laughs> it's uh, it can be really intense and super personal. Um, and, and, you know, that tendency that people sometimes have of saying things online they'd never say to someone's face um, does not build uh, the dialogue that we need. Uh, so it kind of, you know, goes back to first principles for me that the, the less time we spend on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram talking about these things and the more time we spend listening to people in, in real places uh, I just, I like our odds and it's, a, it's so contrasting for me sometimes then when we're all have just come from a chief's meeting where, you know, they're struggling with real things. We have a tough conversation, but there's, there's hopefulness there. And then I see it reported in the news and then you read the comments and it's like, it's two different worlds and it's, it's one's nuance and one's 30 seconds. And in our world, the 30 seconds really wins. Um, and I, I don't have any solutions for it. It's more an observation of just um, pausing uh, for a moment uh, before we uh, get into our vitriol. And I've been as guilty about it as anybody. Um, uh, it doesn't satisfy. It, it doesn't. And it doesn't do much uh, for us. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I refer to it as in your Facebook or to Facebook. <laughs> right? it's, it's not, you know, the intense. The original intent of it is is kind of lost, right? And you have so many different 
keyboard warriors and people that um, just delight in the churn. You know, they delight in um, in, in confusing things and complicating things and and creating uh, creating infighting. So, well, we watched it over the pandemic, right? Where again, the social media tools can be amazing uh, communicators for understanding something. Because I'm not a virologist and I don't know how this stuff works, but I can read and I can click and follow credible sources, or I can decide that it's a conspiracy theory developed by George Soros and Bill Gates to rule our lives. And it's uh, challenging. It's challenging. Um, and it, and it, and it actually uh, life affecting <laughs> where we have a, a, a neighbor who's been hospitalized, who was confirmed this thing was, was all a hoax and um, a smart person, you know, lovely person. And, uh, just had gotten some pressures and read just fell into the rabbit hole. Right. And that's, I guess that's maybe what, what is challenging with the world we live in. We can really develop our own echo chambers now mm. and, and only hear things that confirm what we are kind of already believe and good learning, as you know, as a skilled facilitator is, is that little space in there where we're not so certain of what we know. Mm-hmm. And we can pause and listen and, and um, maybe question the stuff that, that we had taken for granted before. Um, but the algorithms that these uh, apps use uh, push towards outrage. Mm-hmm. Those, those are popular. Like we, we just announced some money, small thing, Dan, I'm, I'm taking too much of your time, but uh, a, little, a little grant, well, little 400,000 bucks or so for gets a glucose, uh, to, uh for a community kitchen. And I phone the community and say, you know, you're going to get a bit of money here. Uh, how's, what's it, what, is it going to make any difference? What's it going to, and, and, you know, they're just going on about the elders gatherings that they have and the kids and they're going to do a nutrition. Like they got all these things that are going to be enabled by this relatively small uh, support. You put that up on social media and it's like shrug and, and the, it's, it's not going viral and it's okay. But man, oh man, uh, a, a guy drove by my house during the COVID um, when, you know, not a lot of travel was permitted. And I was up, uh, cross-country skiing with my kids and the lights were off and he posts that uh, look at this entitled politician he's probably in Hawaii and that thing trended across the country and I thought first of all super creepy someone's driving by my house deciding whether I'm home or not second what does this say about this thing <laughs> like it, yeah, yeah. it's complete completely wrong a lie whatever but people are inclined to believe it oh like you know if someone's getting away with something and they're entitled and they're terrible and i i keep telling people uh, i know why you might dislike politics or politicians but in my experience people rise and fall to your expectations if, if you tell a kid they're dumb over and over and over and over again uh man they gotta be super determined to prove you wrong if you tell people that they're corrupt and horrible and the worst thing ever, you know, some people are just going to do what they do and try to be good, but some people are going to fall to that expectation. So stop it. Expect better, ask for better and don't fall prey to the easy garbage. You know, it's just, it's a small anecdote and it's, it's nothing. And my my feelings aren't hurt. It was just more, um, huh. 
<laughs> you know, like, let's see. Because the Gitsugluka kitchen is way more important than whether I, I was, I had left my home or not, <laughs> you know, and one was true and one was not. And there you go. Yeah, like even on a smaller, much, much smaller scale, like I, I joined Facebook social mm. media and the, the primary reason behind it was for me to stalk my daughters and my nephews and nieces because I was able to see what was going on in their life and whether their lives were going good and whether or not they needed a phone call from their uncle Dan. Right. right. That's, what, right. that's how I started right. it. Right. And sure. that's all which, negative, which all is great for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Whose birthday, what's going on. Yeah, yeah. sure. A couple pictures. Hey, couple great. pictures. Right. And then I started to sure. do a thought of the day, you know, and when my thought of the day, I try and throw some positive thought out there. Right. Okay. And whenever, so then I, you know, I, I get a uh, fair bit of feedback. You throw something out there. I, I write something about something controversial that is going uh -huh. on. Uh -huh. Lights up. Yeah. Right. Right. You don't want to hear all the good stuff. You want to hear like, you know, who's hurting who, right. Who's winning here. Um, you know, and I, I think it's a, it's a sad state for our, um, for our society. It, it dumbs us all down. Is, is what it does. All those algorithms and stuff, it dumbs down the population, I believe. Right. So what's, you know, there's, I don't know if there's an antidote, but I'm always looking for inefficiencies in the system, right? Like where, what did, what did uh, Airbnb figure out? They figured that hotels were kind of really expensive and people wanted a different experience. So they found an inefficiency in the system. Now, Airbnb has some challenges, but there you go, right? Like something that was unimaginable really before because of technology there. So if this is the trend, and and I watch this, I watch colleagues in politics who are just really good at being, uh, I don't know, super controversial. Like all news is good news. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, you're being attacked or not. And I think, well, there must be an inefficiency in there for authentic experience. Mm -hmm. for, for people who are looking for a conversation that matters, that's respectful, that makes you feel uplifted and educated at the end of it. And so when we get, you know, the travel restrictions, you know, it's a bit tough in the interior right now, but um, people are getting to engage more. Uh, it's just a theory I'm, I'm kind of meddling with. How much do you really get out of something going viral? People click on it, but no meaningful engagement yeah. versus 50 people in a room really struggling and coming together and understanding each other and leaving that room and then and thinking about politics differently or an issue differently mm -hmm. um that that you know maybe a little less attention on the tiktok but maybe mm -hmm. i'm wrong I, I could be very very wrong it's a kardashian moment dan like yeah yeah you know, some people are famous for being famous and i still don't know what they actually i actually honestly don't know what a kardashian does like i don't know if they sing or they're an actor or what but i know there's i know their name and they're super famous but i still no one's been able to explain to me what they do yeah. <laughs> what they're good at <laughs> it's, it's kind of uh confusing um what they do and it's kind of confusing what um excites uh, uh -huh. right or or interest. you didn't think we'd be talking about kardashians today did you that's no, I like I I was looking at it fresh. all my preparatory work here and, and nowhere <laughs> the Kardashian. Um, we're we're coming we're winding down our time here, Nathan. I'm really um, grateful that you've taken uh, so much time uh, uh, for the program here. But if you could convey one message to uh, to Canadians regarding reconciliation, what would that be? You know, if you wanted to leave a message mm -hmm. there, 
understanding that reconciliation is hardwired to your mandate letter? Um, I have, I have uh, my own working definition, uh, and it's working. I'm working on it. Um, and I asked a certain prime minister who shall not be named uh, what his definition was. And he told me, and it was kind of a bit of a word, word, word salad. And I said, where, uh, any, uh, any power sharing in there? Like, are you looking to give up a little bit, you know, of the authorities or the final say? Oh, no, no. You know, our structures won't allow for that constitutional mumbo mumbo. So uh, that was disappointing. Uh, in, in my mind, um, re to reconcile means you've had a fight, you've had a dispute, you've done harm. And so it requires that uh, first step of seeing it. I recognize it, right? I, I see that some of the stuff we've talked about today. Uh, but it can't stop there. Apologies and recognition is not enough. You then say, all right. And, and because that harm was done, land stolen, children stolen, um, here's how it's, we're going to be different. And um, not again, not in just the one-offs for one day, for one conversation, for one tweet. But here's how we're going to be different forevermore. And that it that uh, that it's uh, iterative. You keep you keep coming back to it and and reviewing it and understanding it better. So it's a long answer to a short question. Um, reconciliation for me, from my perspective as a settler, means some giving over of power, some sharing of authorities, and um, uh, some humility that we're, it's never going to be done. Mm -hmm. you're, you're always, you're, this, is, this is a commitment. You're saying you're going to do this, and it's for life. It's like, I don't know, health or good relationships with your, with your family. It's, it's the hardest change because it's constant. It's not once. You don't just do something once. You do it many, many times. And so, um, yeah. And, and as opposed to how I've been today, I'm mostly not talking quite so much. <laughs> uh, I find if I spend less time talking, uh, I do better on, that, on this front. I really appreciate um, your answer, um, Nathan, because when I reflect, you know, reconciliation, you know, if I'm paraphrasing what you're saying, it's um, mm. a process, not an event, right? Right. Yeah. And if you look yeah. at the, um, the apology from then Prime Minister Stephen Harper, yeah. he renders the apology for him. That was an event. Yes. Okay. We're done. Right? Like a concert. Check. Right. And then the work that flows from that, the process never happened, right? And, and that's where we have to focus in on what's that, pro, what's that process? What does it look like? What's the purpose of our engagements? What are the products mm. that we're hoping to produce? Who do we need to have at the, at the table? What are the probable issues that they're going to be raising? You know, and then try and build a process to be able to continue on um, with a mutually beneficial conversation and dialogue mm -hmm. that takes us somewhere that helps our families and helps our communities. Right. And well, you, that's, you said it right there. And I, and that's absent from my answer is uh, coming from the Wet'suwet'en who's, you know, the chief's um, mission is for the betterment of all. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And the recognition uh, to non-Indigenous people that reconciliation is a good thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just the right thing, it's a good thing. So maybe to enhance your answer a bit, it's a process with many events. There's many moments along. And, and they're good, they're really important to recognize and, and seek, right? The, the, the lower post, the knocking down of that school is a moment, an event in a process and there'll be another event and another and um and i because i think those are important because if you tell people something's just a process uh it can be troubling and if you tell them it's mostly giving up power which is how i described it that's really unnerving yeah yeah. Uh, um and that's why i sort of come back to the what's way of thinking about or talking about it at least it's explained to me betterment of for all the betterment for all okay right it's a powerful vision yeah i want to acknowledge the hereditary chiefs of the day um you know i was i was fortunate to be there when that vision statement was developed mm, is that right okay. with, the, with the participation of one of my mentors uh, paul hideo tanaka nah. Just adding that last piece on the end was so nah. powerful for the betterment of all because this isn't nah. about you know the hereditary chiefs you know men, most or if not all who are gone like when i was there right yeah uh, they you know and, and they they had a certain style uh they had a certain um a level of integrity and they knew it wasn't all about the Wet'suwet'en. that for the Wet'suwet'en mm. to be able to thrive um we needed to um thrive alongside of our neighbors right mm. so for the betterment of all that that tagline on there um that's probably one of the best vision statements I've been involved with. And it's so hmm. simple and it's so short. So simple. Yeah. So, yeah. Very impactful, right? When you, when you unpack it, um, you're, you're a family man and, uh, you know, uh, you have uh, twin, twin boys, uh, you're married. Uh, what did your family like to do in your spare time? You mentioned cross country skiing earlier. Yeah. Like, what else, yeah. what do you guys like to do when you get some free time, Nathan? Yeah. Almost anything outside. Um, my boys just turned 11 last week, which is just this awesome age of, you know, they still want to bounce on a trampoline. Um, but you know, we can get biking and doing stuff. Um, yeah, we just finished up a big family road trip going through your neck of the woods and other places. Um, yeah, we, yeah. Getting out and seeing different places, um, and being outside. It's uh, not not too complicated, and uh, they're 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 readers, which I'm Imagine. really happy about. Yeah, my my wife was amazing as they were, you know, from day one, uh, every night was reading. Um, so that that gives me hope too, because I think the greatest challenge for kids is we're doing this huge social experiment on them with these screens, and uh, uh, fine, you don't deny that it exists, but you just are you giving them something else? Because I, I see these pretty socially stunted kids <laughs> who, can, who can only talk to me through a screen. Like, they can't talk to me face to face. And I want my kids always to be able to look people in the eye, talk to them, shake their hand, under, you know, be there. And so I, it may seem a bit heavy, but, um, you know, they're young, young men and um, I want them to be uh, good men growing up, respecting women and uh, being able to talk to people. 
Yeah, and I think I, I really um, admire the fact that you're spending time, lots of time with them when you have time. And I, I want to encourage that because, Nathan, pretty yeah. soon you're not going to be cool anymore. Oh, right? man, I'm already there. I, I hurt my back on this trip and my kid said, uh, I want the young dad. I don't want the old dad. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, you and, me, you and me both, kid, but I'm almost 50. So there's going to be a little bit of old dad around sometimes. But yes, I even, I, God, I look at that trampoline outside and I, Oh, it gives me shivers to think about bouncing on it, but I'm coming back. All right, going to physio. I'm getting strong. Coming back stronger. (laughs) That's right. Okay, I got this one last question, this burning question that the audience, um, you know, have been waiting for me to ask. Um, As a minister of state for lands and natural resource operations, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be, and why? Man, Mm -hmm. I I I think I just thought of a good one. Um, and it's, it's a good one cause it's so awesome. The cedar because, uh, but it, you know, you can take a strip off me, but I, I'm still, I'm still good to go, you know? And I, and I got, I got multiple uses. How's, how's that? I, uh, I love it. I, you know, they're useful, you know, they're really beautiful and they do a lot of good things and yeah. And, and you can, you can actually rip a whole strip off them and they're fine. <laughs> They're not so fragile. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I look forward to the next time I get the tear strip off you. Um, <laughs> Just um, come on my Facebook, man. Just join in the line and uh, <laughs> tear away. <laughs> what makes you beat it though? Right. Yeah. Excellent. I, I want to thank you um, on behalf of my listeners, uh, on behalf of uh, me and my team. Uh, Minister Cullen, thank you so much for taking time and your busy schedule to be with us uh, today. Um, I really uh, appreciate you and um, you know um, your style and uh, the fact that you carry yourself with integrity and transparency and accountability and all those things that are so important not only for public officials but just for being a good human being um, to your point no one rises to low expectations right so we got to set our expectations high for ourselves and, and for others and I look to uh, I look to your boys and I look to my grandchildren mm. um, because it's going to be the young people who are going to uh, to unite us. And, you know, I um, I have lots of uh, different friends and, and colleagues, and I have a friend out at Chuchwap Lake, and he's an older um, non-Indigenous um, fellow. Mm. And when he heard of the 215-plus uh, the unmarked graves, he was gobsmacked and didn't know what to say or how to interact with me as no an doubt. Indigenous person. So he's doing his own um, internal reckoning. He, he's, going, he's going through that. Hmm. But he's 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 on his he's on his journey out right and and so it's it's going to be our young people i think who are oh yeah more, more attuned they're more educated they're they're more um they, they think more globally um i i really look to um to your boys and to my grandchildren hmm. to create the conditions for a better world for all of us well in in one day at their school here um they are talking more about uh, indigenous history and culture and language than I did in 20 years of schooling. Yeah. Right. Like, it's not perfect. There's work to do, but we're putting a new pole up at their school in a couple months and the carvers are in and their class is a mixed class, a lot of Wet'suwet'en kids. And, uh, just that, like, just that it's, uh, it's, um, it's very hopeful to me and it's a, it's a work in progress. Right. It's but it's 
every every day i think man they like i didn't get any of that um it was all erased so you know i guess the question then you know and wrapping up but the question is then what what are we screwing up on right now it's easy to look back and go god man <laughs> those people really messed it up and they didn't teach us about these important and hard histories um i think okay that's easy to look back now uh look at now and think about what we're doing now that 30 years from now someone's going to say did you know that back then this is what they did so that's that's the good burning question exactly and so i want to thank you uh, minister cullen thanks for, um, all of your service i want to thank you for uh being such a uh, a good friend and um please join with me to my audience please join with me for future editions of reconciliation road until then, I extend love and light. Uh, take good care and please be kind. Thank you. Thank you. Reconciliation Road is supported by the First Nations Major Projects Coalition. The FNMPC is a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing free of charge resources to First Nations in Canada, supporting their efforts to gain equity ownership stakes in major projects being developed on their traditional territories, while ensuring that the integrity of the land is maintained for the enjoyment of current and future generations. The FNMPC envisions a future where we walk the path of the Reconciliation Road together. For more information, please visit us at fnmpc.ca.